It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Also in Auburn, Alabama, the eldest boy, Dan Peck. How we doing, Dan? I'm trying to stay warm. It is. I've, I've been out of town for the last week, and it is. Uh, it, this this is about as cold as I remember Auburn getting for an extended period of time. I wasn't here for uh, for, for much of it, although it wasn't exactly. Uh, it, it wasn't exactly uh, tropical in, in San Marcos or, or Lafayette <laughs> uh, these last couple of days. I did eat very well on the That's good. On, on the trip. Got some. We have uh, Troy has someone who played at Lafayette for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. She knew she knew about an excellent restaurant uh, at, at Tezos, I believe. Tezos or Fezos? I should get that right because it was uh, some of the best Cajun food. Yeah, some of the yeah. best. Some of the best Louisiana. I had a uh, I had a crawfish etouffee, that was oh that was just sensational. And so uh, yeah, it, it, happy to uh, happy to return to, uh, to to Auburn. Also joining us, editor, engineer, podcast extraordinaire, uh, the man behind the machine, Mister Painter Sharpless. Painter, I know you know your way around some Cajun cuisine. What is the what is the best Cajun Creole whatever dish you think that is out there? Like what what would you what would you say is like the number one? I love grits. I mean, anything that involves grits. Like a is, shrimp and grits. Right. Something to, to that tune. It is Fezzo's. It's a uh, it's a restaurant. There are three of them, Fezzo. three locations in Lafayette. And uh, and yeah, there's I worked at a restaurant in Destin that had an outstanding seafood gumbo. So that mm-hmm. would be that would be on my list with uh, and and they and I worked at another restaurant in Destin that had pretty good shrimp and grits. Uh so uh, so so I'm right there with Painter. Yeah. Painter, I was just thinking when we were at the LSU game this past season and at the at the tailgate with our buddy Zach, the uh the pork sauce piquant that they did the, the the jambalaya was off the off the charts, but the pork that pork dish that he made, I had never had it before. It was just just stupid good. And I uh, I think about that a lot, but I also think about I think about Zach's food pretty frequently and he's the might be the one of the best like people I know who are who like does Instagram really really well. I know I don't. I know most people don't, but yeah, follow our buddy at Zrow on uh on, on Twitter or and on Instagram. Are you supposed to do something on Instagram other than share the song that you're listening to? Uh, in, <laughs> no, that's in what I do. That's no, <laughs> that's I, all I, I do. And I've I used to do more than you know. I was good for like one story a month. That would be like a '90s class, you know, a '90s alt rock song or uh, or, or something. But uh. I've cooled off on that. Maybe maybe I'll throw one out there for the real heads yep. uh, the next couple of days. Uh, real quick, off the top, just want to say uh, we're recording this later in the day than usual on Sunday. Uh, we're trying to get this thing out uh, there before uh, Painters and mine. I said I've co-opted them over the years. Uh, the, our beloved Buffalo Bills uh, take on the Chiefs in the, in, the, in the NFL playoffs on Sunday night. So a little bit later. We will say this right off the top as well. Um, there are is reporting out there uh, from Matt Zenitz. I think our buddy Nathan King at, at uh, Auburn Undercovers also said this. This is something that's been kind of going on last 24, 48 hours or so. Um, looks like Auburn could be on the verge of hiring DJ Durkin as their next defensive coordinator. I know we had talked a lot about uh, Chris Kiffin, who the Texans just lost uh, to the Ravens in the playoffs on Saturday night. That hasn't been finalized. That hasn't been confirmed. We're recording this with that still up in the air. So that's why we're not talking about the hire. Like by the time you're listening to this, the hire could already be made. Auburn could already have a defensive coordinator, but just up front, that is why we are 
we, we're, we're not talking about, we're not talking football on this podcast because there's a lot of basketball to get to, but that news is already out there. Depending on the time you're listening to this, it's might've already been finalized or confirmed, but that's just why just right off the top. want to go ahead and get that out there. Um, so in case you're listening to this, and you're like, why the heck have they not talked about X, Y, or Z with football? That's why. So we got a lot of basketball to talk about, uh, because guys, this, this Auburn, this, this Auburn basketball team continues to put up ridiculous performances night after night. Uh, Ole Miss comes into town lot, you know, I, Ole Miss shouldn't have been ranked. I'll, I'll say that they're a product of a week non-conference schedule and an inflated record and they you know they lost LSU earlier this week and then you know their net their Ken Palm all that stuff way way off not a normal ranked team but on paper a ranked team first time ever Auburn and Ole Miss have faced off as ranked teams and Auburn takes care of business winning by 23 um this basketball team the way they are playing on the defensive end isn't it funny to kind of go back and think about how much we talked in the preseason and heck how much Bruce Pearl talked about earlier in the year about, Hey, Auburn's defense might be challenged. This might not be, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And I mean, they have just outside of the LSU game, they are just holding these teams all the way down uh, and doing such an excellent job. It's just kind of funny to look at in retrospect. And I think like five of the next six or six of the next seven for Auburn are supposed to be in quad one territory. But, I mean, you play who's in front of you, and in the case of Auburn, you, you dominate who's in front of you. This is their 11th straight win. They've all come by double digits. Here's another fun fact about this team. If you look at uh, the first five wins they had this season, Auburn has won every single one of their games this season by double digits, uh, all 16 of them. Um, this is kind of getting to – we talked about it on the last podcast. It's kind of getting to, like, last year's UConn team, where when they won, they looked really good uh, in the process, and obviously – uh, had this super dominant run all the way to the national title. Not saying Auburn's going to do that this year. There's a lot of people who are, I think, getting way ahead of themselves when it comes to uh, the postseason of this team. But as it is right now, like, Dan, like, literally, you only can play the teams on your schedule. You only play what's in front of you. And, I mean, night after night, not only is Auburn winning, but they're winning and they're covering and they're making their metrics kind of soar in the process. I was bullish on Ole Miss coming into this season, too. Yes, I, I thought that, I thought that, Chris Beard had assembled an impressive roster in his first season there. He'd retained uh, some quality players and, and and brought in some other ones that I thought might make for an intriguing, uh, especially on the defensive side of the floor. I thought they might make for a for, for a really tough matchup for a lot of teams in this league. And Auburn went right through them. And the last the last five minutes of the first half, because I thought there's a moment where Ole Miss pulls it. You know, they they get it back to ten. And you think maybe they can get hot with with a few baskets, and instead, it's 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 all Auburn in in those final few minutes, and and to start the second half too, and it's just you know I imagine when the the longer you go being down ten or fifteen to this Auburn team, the tougher it the tougher it's got to be on on both sides of of the floor, especially in Neville, and we've seen we've seen it melt some teams in, in the second half, and that's. That's kind of what happened to Ole Miss on Saturday night. I think if if some things had played out differently in the first fifteen minutes, you know, maybe they could have hung in there longer. But when Auburn started to pull away, it was uh, it it was it was it was all rolling downhill. Yeah, to your point, like there was, Jamin Breakfield hits a hits a shot 
with 6-11 left to cut it to 6. 6-11 left in the first half. And then Auburn goes on a 19-6 to run to close the second half. Three-pointer, three-pointer, and one. Two free throws, three-pointer, three-pointer, mid-range jumper. I mean, they just they just started stacking on this team and get and they got really got rolling from there. The big thing for me continues to be the defense of this team because Ole Miss 27 points in the first half. That was a season low for them. Um, this the, again, we can talk about the quality of opponents they've played this year, but this Ole Miss team had eight turnovers in the first half, just 0.9 points per possession in the first half. Um, they went through long stretches where they didn't really hit much of anything. They couldn't hold on to the ball. And Auburn just continues to do this in a variety of ways. And I, I got a, I've got a film room story that'll go up uh, Monday morning. So if you're listening to this on Sunday night, it's not in your inbox yet. But this Auburn defense is ridiculous right now. Through the first five games of the of SEC play, they have given up 51, 55, 78 to LSU, 65, and now 59 to Ole Miss. And, Dan, when you think about what Auburn's about to face with Alabama, and I know Alabama lost by 20, and Tennessee's defense did an excellent job of really hammering the tide in Knoxville on Saturday. I think Alabama had a ton of turnovers, a bunch of missed three-pointers in that game. But if you're looking for, like, how can you be in the best position to compete in Tuscaloosa against an offense that when it's clicking, it's better than anybody in the country. It's got to be the way Auburn's playing basketball right now. And it's, I mean, yes, there are possessions that end with turnovers and there are possessions then with blocks, but uh, you know, for, for, for me, it's, it's Auburn's ability to contest shots, right? Like it feels like everything is tough. Occasionally teams get an open shot, but it's it feels very rare during this stretch, mm. and the numbers reflect that. As far as I mean, Ole Miss shot thirty seven percent. What was it? Uh, the 20, 23 and a half, half from three. Yeah. And it, it's it's funny that you're talking about the the defense after a night where Auburn shot the ball so well because you had yeah. and a lot of it was around the rim, but a lot of it was the extra pass creating great looking three point looks. Like it's just and and that and Auburn being able to convert them as well as they you know as, as well as they have of late and i think the i think the big and I, I this was my lead to the observations on on saturday or saturday night sunday morning when they came out um you go back and uh our buddy henry Patton from rivals pointed this out after the game and it's like i don't think i've ever seen a more electric finish to a game that was decided by 20 plus points then Chaney Johnson almost hit, giving himself a concussion on a chase down block. He got up so quickly and so and it got up there so high, uh, high. And then you get a Darren Scott, AD Scott, who hits his first Division One basket a couple of possessions earlier on a seven five guy, and then hits two blocks at the end of the game to seal it. And you look, and Albert is storming the floor and running around like they had just hit a buzzer beater, and. Dylan Carwell, I think I asked him about it after the game, and Dylan did a really good job of saying, hey, if that came across as disrespectful, that wasn't our intent. We were just fired up about what AD did and Cheney's blog. But I think that was a great example of something that I think that has separated this team early on. And not to say Auburn's had 
bad teams in this regard over the years. I think Bruce Pearl's done a really good job of of building a great culture and a consistent culture over the years. But when you got guys selling out like that and celebrating blocks in a 20-point game like they're playing games, the Game 7 of the NBA Finals, I mean, it's just... That's the kind of chemistry and kind of togetherness that radiates off the screen. And I know it's fun for Auburn fans to, to be watching a team like this because they look like they're genuinely enjoying you know, playing with one another, right? It does seem like they've got a great collection of personalities, guys who are laid back, guys who are energetic. It's, it's, it's been uh, well done by the coaching staff, by the players. Remains to be seen what it looks like against the best competition in all of college basketball. But of late, you know, since the App State loss and and, and the atmosphere at Neville Arena has contributed to this, but the energy on the court and the and the way the team plays and, and the way the team reacts when the bench is out there contributing, it's starting to remind me. And I don't know if anyone's made this comparison, so I want to get this one, especially if the season goes really, really well. It's mm-hmm. starting to remind me of the Billy Donovan Gators with Noah okay. and Horford and Brewer. I mean, th- those and and the way that team, it felt like it was five. And, you know, there were lottery picks on that team, which is sure. which is a which is a little bit different than the, you know, what what people at the moment consider Auburn's talent to be. Right. But that's how it felt. If you were around when 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 the Gators had that two year run with with those five guys at at the front and you know that this this is of late and they were beating teams like this too yeah so i mean bruce pearl maybe someone asked bruce pearl about that because he was at tennessee when florida had those gator teams and and that was a those were eventual national champions so i think you got to be yeah and he's and he's gone out of his way to to undersell a lot of this undersell but yeah this is and and again you know don't don't expect a dynasty necessarily, but the characteristics of a really special team, like like the one you just mentioned with the togetherness, Justin, like that's, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's, it's it's starting to catch on. It is, and I think it's the thing with Auburn is that it is a it's the eleven man rotation that really gets after him, and nothing is a bigger example of that than Leor Berman. Like, okay, let's be very, I'm going to be very honest and very transparent here up at the front because I don't want to, I don't want to dance around this. But when Leor Berman's in the game at the 11th man, there are a lot of times where a team will look at him and say, we're going after that guy. He is, he is not, he's the 11th man. He is not built to handle our best guys. And they'll go after him. And sometimes it works. But here recently, Leor has had a few games where his defense has really, really stood out, and he has held his own and has made stops. He goes up against a guy in Allen Flanagan that on Saturday night that he has faced so many times in practice that he literally had to mimic in practice this week as the scout team small forward. And there's a there's a stretch where it's like three possessions or maybe three out of four possessions where. Flanagan gets the ball and he's going after Lior and he does not score. He gets ripped on one. He misses a he misses a couple other shots on on top of that. And like Lior was just, I mean, getting after it. And he hits a three and the and the crowd goes crazy. But like Dan, I think that's the other thing about this team is like when you're eleventh man, when your former walk-ons coming to the game and locking people up, like 
that's when you start saying like, whoa, this team is doing stuff that we haven't seen yet. Um, you know, from it from an Auburn basketball team. And uh, I mean, Alan Flanagan wanted I, he undoubtedly wanted to, you know, play well and 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 have a really good game against his former teammates. I think the crowd handled it as about as you would expect, kind of that half and half split, but three at ten from the field, three turnovers. I mean, that's that's that is handling a team's one of their best players and a guy that Auburn knew very, very well. And Leor Berman played a big part in that. When Allen took that spill and it, it, oh, it seemed he like it, it right seemed, on that knee. Oh, yeah, it, it seemed, seemed like he'd hurt his knee and and it was a scary moment there. And I don't know, it, it came across on the television broadcast, and I could be wrong here, uh, but what it what it seemed like happened on the broadcast was someone attempted to heckle Alan Flanagan as he was down, and then that person was shouted down by yes. multiple other people within the Auburn fan base. I don't know. I thought that was a, uh, an okay moment there for the, uh, mm-hmm. for the folks who, because the most part it was, I thought Allen's reception was very respectful. I did not hear. I don't know how he was. I don't know how he was received in warmups or in the, so I, there was, the, there were, the, there, not, yeah. there were some folks in the student section getting after him. Um, I thought he was kind of treated. There was a vocal group in the student section that booed him every time he touched the ball uh, during Starting lineups, the intros, it was like half and half applause I'd, and booze. I'd like to, I'd like to warm reception for him with the starting lineup, and then you boo him from that point and, on. I think that might was, have been my. There was a dedicated, there was a dedicated group of stu- uh, folks in the student section that were, they were not going to let that happen. Yeah, see my, and I guess I'm obsolete as a fan in like sort of that, like hoping that that's the reaction that other fans. Like sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I, that's that's where I would have liked to go there, but uh, but no. And as to your Leor Berman point, like. Part of the, and and it's yeah, it is uh, that that's another testament to the team's depth and togetherness. Uh, you know, not just how Leor plays, but how you know he, he's how he's received by his teammates. But you don't get to the point where Leor Berman's in the game for extended minutes uh, unless guys like Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell and Jalen Williams continue their exceptional play and build a big lead. Because I mean, what Auburn's been able to do in the front court is. I mean, it's incredible. Like what these guys have done lately. I mean, you you made the uh, you made an Instagram graphic again, Justin, with a uh, with with a, with a Dylan Cardwell uh, yeah. comment, and and you're absolutely right about him. Yeah, no, it looked like he was playing Nerf basketball out there. There's that stretch, and this is the first time Dylan has had back to back double digit scoring games in his career, which is pretty crazy to think about. His role's done really really well. You looked at you look at this game for Auburn and their points in the paint just. 42 points in the paint against a team that was the number two team in the country in, in block shots. Um, Ole Miss had three blocks in this game. One of them came on the last possession um, on, you know, Jalen Harper. Okay. Um, so you've got, you've got a scenario where you take one of the better teams in the country at protecting the rim. And Auburn did a really good job of, it wasn't just posting up, and both Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell and Jalen Williams, those guys combined for 38 in this game. Now, Janai and, and Jalen both hit a three in this one, and got all those guys got to the free throw line, but it was like, get them away from the basket, and then attack the basket. And it was good passes, and some dump-offs. I'm going to turn the ball over a decent bit in this game. The the big men had the ball you know, ripped out a little bit, deflected out. They had eight, eight of the sixteen turnovers. I think that's so much. A little, of that, that's that's Ole Miss's game too. Like yeah, that's really what they're anomaly. trying to get you to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 
when you t- when you look at a team that is so good at protecting the rim and saying, "Hey, we still think we're better," at, uh, you know, at the rim if we get the looks that we want. It's a really good sign. And Dylan Carwell, you know, show show those guys the ball. You know, catch, go on, go on those th- those uh, you know pick and roll o- offenses. Jani Broom did a great job of that. Jalen Williams did a great job of that. Like, I mean, it's just. It's a really good ab- ability, I thought, of the scout, the game plan from Auburn's coaching staff, and then just execute it from there. It's to say, hey, this is what you like to do. This is the key to your success. You know, we- we're going to find a way around it. Really quiet game statistically in 15 minutes for JYD, for Chris Moore. is. Do the advanced numbers suggest that, that Auburn's getting, uh, getting something uh, that, that, that doesn't necessarily show up? on the stat sheet when he's out there. I mean, I know he's, you know, he's, he's a, a good defender. And like you say, does a lot of the stuff, uh, does, does a lot of the dirty work uh, that, that, uh, that helps uh, the offense and defense go. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with, with, with Chris, I think his impact, just because Chad Baker is so good and he's usually in lineup and, you know, he's on, he coming on a lot of times with the bench lineup and they've been so successful. It does kind of affect, you know, you don't get a ton of advanced numbers that kind of point to Jalen is like, okay, this is the guy, or I'm sorry, Chris Moore is like, hey, this is a guy that, um, you know, has this super, super big impact on the game. But I will say his defensive numbers are solid. Um, he he doesn't foul a lot. Um, he can make plays on offense when he gets an opportunity. He's just, you know, a guy that I think does his job really, really well. One, one interesting example from this game too, Dan, is that not only – Quiet game from JYD. He played 15 minutes. Chad Baker Bazaar only played 14, five points, but he was a team high plus 20 and plus minus. He just makes things happen. But one of the coolest stories we're going to get all year came after the game. Bruce Pearl said, um, quote, I thought this was a great example of what I want this team to try to be like. Ira Bowman helps with the substitutions. Leor Berman got a nice rotation in there and was playing really well, particularly on the defensive end. He was physical. He had gone up against Al for four years, really did a nice job, was working really hard defensively, and was effective out there. It was more than his time to come out, and Chad Baker was due to come in. And Chad says to Ira, leave him in there. Leor is playing so great. When you've got teammates like that, that's really, really special. So if we could just keep that going. That's... I mean, that says a lot about this team, because Chad baker Mazar could be a dude easily getting... A lot more minutes than 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 he's gotten with the way he's played, and yet here he is making a ton of impact in the limited minutes he can, and also knowing when a teammate's hot, just leave leaving him out there. And I can I can pass along. I've heard reports, you know, Chad and uh, and Chris have become really close, and as as Chris's you know as as, as Chris's offense you know d- doesn't necessarily overwhelm. You know, I, I know Chad Baker Mazar has been nothing but supportive and and by all accounts a great teammate we've we've heard we just hear a lot about how close this this group is and i think there's something to the idea that leor berman went against alan flanagan in practice as much as he did he could be a uniquely uh a tough matchup for alan flanagan compared to guys that don't know him as well or guys that have never matched up against him at all and we saw some of that uh with, with leor berman a couple of plays where uh, Leor seemed to get the best of of Alan Flanagan uh, in in a one on one situation. It was it was a really great game for Leor defensively. I thought Chad played really well defensively. It was just period. Auburn de- defensively was great. Ole Miss coming into this game, and there's some of this that that I write about tomorrow in the film room. Ole Miss coming into this game had four guys averaging double figures 
Only one of them got there, and that was Allen with 10. Uh, Matthew Morrell. Matthew Morrell had 45 points across two games against Auburn last season. He had eight in this one. Jalen Murray had eight after averaging 14 and a half a game this year. Jamin Brakefield. Really, you know, Jalen Williams, I think, did a good job. He kind of called a shot before the game, and he was like, hey, I have not played a top-tier power forward in a while. Um, that's just not how these rosters been make up. Jamin Brakefield, former five-star, former Auburn recruit, former Duke Blue Devil, seven points in this game for for Jamin Brakefield. Uh, he goes, um, I believe he finished, yeah, three of ten from the field. Uh, a point out in the film room, there is a possession where Jalen just has him completely locked down uh, you know, for all 30 seconds and uh, forces a shot clock violation out of it. So, this Auburn defense continues to be just incredibly impressive. Um, Ole Miss got really nothing shooting the ball. They turned the ball over a lot. This was by far their their least efficient game of the season on the offensive end. And this is an Ole Miss team that is better on offense than they are on defense, which is kind of strange to say about a about a team coached by Chris Beard. But it's early. They're trying to, you know, trying to implement something. He's got a lot of experienced scores, and Auburn just did a really good job of running them out of the situations that they wanted to be in. And, uh, you know, offensively in this game, we'll say, again, we talked about the points in the paint being so good. The turnovers, mostly from the big men, something you want to tighten up for sure. I did think, though, in this game, you go back and look, plus minus, both Aiden Holloway and Trey Donaldson had great plus minuses. They combined for six assists and just one turnover in this game. That's more like it from the point guards. Thought they did a good job of uh, handling their matchups on on defense as well. And uh, also, um, Auburn shoots 91% from the free throw line in this game. They go 10 of 11, 44% from deep, 58.2% um, from the line. I mean, these are these are outstanding numbers to have against anybody. Uh much less a team like Ole Miss that is that is a a you know a team that's won a, a good bit of basketball. Again, I think they're overrated based on on the human polls, based on what they put out on the floor this year. But uh, this team's just doing a lot of things really, really well. How wild is it to watch an Auburn team go to the free throw line and be like, yeah, they're probably going to knock things down? Like, because this is yet another game in a row where they have been able to just rip it through the free throws and. Sure, they're winning these games big, but you just keep feeling like this is going to come in handy huge down the stretch. Yeah, Dan? Well, B well Bama presents a unique uh, matchup, not just because it's Auburn's toughest road game of the season so far, but because Alabama, I guess if you, if you say that the metrics would say Auburn hasn't necessarily played a top-tier team yet because uh, Baylor's dropped a couple of uh, games and, and Ole Miss, like you said, uh, that the human polls like Ole Miss better than the, the than the uh, than, than the computers do. Alabama had that stretch back in December, right, where they played Purdue, Creighton, Arizona, all when they were in the top 10. And they just went to Knoxville this past weekend. So Alabama is a team that, that I know, you know, no one is saying Alabama hasn't played anyone. It's just a matter right. of, we're still finding out exactly how good they are. I think the matchup in the front court for Alabama with, uh, with Nelson and with Pringle, like how they stop an Auburn team that, like you said, uh, was able to go to the paint at will against an Ole Miss team that had done pretty, uh, done a pretty good job uh, protecting the basket uh, in their previous matchups. Like that's, 
you know what what happens around the rim is, is gonna is is gonna tell the story on, on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, everyone who has watched this Alabama team this year, you probably know defense is not their strength. This is the number one offense in college basketball this year in terms of efficiency, uh, according to Ken Palm, still after only scoring 71 against Tennessee. I, I mean, they're great from three. They're great from two. They're great from the free throw line. They're they're just great, period, at, at, at scoring the ball. Mark Sears is one of the best players in the country this year. He's shooting 48% from deep. Um, Grant now has cooled off from where he was at the start of the year, but this is a guy who can fill it up as well. Got a number of dudes that play an exceptional brand of it's NATO, it's basketball on the offensive end. Defensively, has been it's been a struggle for Bama this year. They give up 91 to Tennessee. That run they had earlier in the year, they gave up 92 to Purdue, 85 to Creighton, 87 to Arizona, 85 to uh, Clemson in a loss, 91 to Oregon in a win, 92 to Ohio State in a loss. You know, it, it's it's a it, it's been an issue, and you feel like if Auburn can play their brand of ball on offense, they can take advantage. This Alabama defense does not force a lot of turnovers. They have a pretty high free throw rate uh, that they give up. Um, they are just a team that has had to try to outscore a lot of folks this season, and they're coming off a game against Tennessee where they played an elite defense. And they turned the ball over 22 times and went four of 21 from deep. I am going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think Alabama is going to do that again, even if Auburn's defense plays well at home in a, a rivalry game at Coleman Coliseum. I just, I don't see that happening. Uh, Painter, I was, <laughs> I was going to tell you, um, friend of the program, literal friend of the program, Dave McKinney was at the game um, Saturday night. And he came up to me before the game, and we were talking, and he said, um, and I quote, I'm already resigned to the fact that Auburn's losing on Saturday to, to, to uh, or on Wednesday to Alabama. He's like, it's just going to happen. And uh, I, I I feel like of the of the three of y'all who do the Friends of the Program podcast, Painter, I feel like Dave's usually the the more pessimistic one. Is that a... Is that a fair assumption to make? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you make of, what do you make of Brother Dave's, uh, you know, preemptive uh, pessimism? I think that you've probably got a pretty good read on the situation. Albeit, I don't begrudge Auburn fans for being like, hey, it's tough to go on the road and beat a rival. But yes, I think your assessment is fair. Yeah, this this matchup for Auburn against Alabama. I just the way Auburn's defense is playing. I'm not saying they're going to go in and shut them down, but I feel like they're in the best possible position to compete against a team like Alabama because of the way this defense is played right now. Um, I think that this is the best example of the culture that Auburn has, uh, you know, this season is that you've got guys like Denver Jones and you've got guys like Chris Moore. And I'll say it with Katie Johnson and Chad Baker Mazar, the improvement you've gotten for the point guards. And then, of course, the front court's been great as well. But, you know, all 10, 11 guys that get on the floor for Auburn are working really, really hard on defense. And it doesn't matter if these guys are hitting shots or not, they are locked in on that end of the floor. That's going to take you a long way, especially on the road uh, in, in, in the SEC. And again, I'm not saying Auburn's going to go in and shut Alabama down by any means. I, I expect Alabama to hit shots and play well at home. But, um, Dan, when we talk about how effective this team is and how, like, what the ceiling is, defense and rebounding travel, and especially on the defensive end right now, 
they're playing as good as I think I've seen an Auburn team defend in a you know in a long time, if ever, if ever. Like I, even the even the team a couple of years ago with Walker, like I, I think it's just different how these guys one through five are guarding. I don't think the Auburn defense needs to necessarily adjust and and change their overall strategy because of Alabama's offense. I think they're going to go out there and and play as they as they usually play and see how it goes against what Alabama does. I'm curious to see what adjustment, if any, Alabama's defense makes to stop Auburn. Is this a game where you focus so much on protecting the paint that you're going to leave three-point shooters in favorable situations and dare yeah. Auburn to hit three-point shots on the road? Because I would imagine that's how teams are going to play Auburn. That makes sense. Defensively, but that's also uh, that that can be a recipe for disaster if Auburn shooters get hot. Sure. And we've seen, I mean, last last year, Auburn shooters got really hot away from home, you know, in in, in Coleman. Um, Alabama's coming off a game where they gave up 50 in the first half to Tennessee. Dalton Connect had 25. Jonas, I, I do, had 19 in this game. Jordan Ganey had 15 off the bench. You know, I, I think it, Tennessee just did some of everything really well. They also just kept the turnovers down, and I think that's the big thing in this game. You look at Tennessee – Seven turnovers uh, were the difference here uh, in this one. Just seven turnovers. Alabama had twenty-two in this one. If Auburn can take care of the ball, I think it, it's 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 they've got a really good chance to work it and hit shots against against Bama um, because of the way their defense is played. And you know the spotlight's on uh, the spotlight is firmly on Aiden Holloway and Trey Donaldson in this game. They're coming off of a game against Ole Miss where they took care of the ball. They ran the offense well. They were re- very effective. But Dan, I think back. I think back to two years ago uh, when Auburn beat Alabama on the road in Tuscaloosa, and I remember that was a big Wendell Green game. Like you need your point guard, you need your guards to step up. Like Jalen Williams, Janai Broom, the way Dylan's playing, that's all great, and they, those guys are gonna be key. But looking at the point guards in this one, and, and I'm, I'm especially looking at those young guys. Going into you know the their first big rivalry game uh, and how they handle handle all of that, and this is a big this is a big game for Alabama for a variety of reasons. It's the, it's the Iron Bowl of basketball, obviously, and and there's going to be the uh, uh, it it'll be so so is Saban there for the the Iron Bowl and all that stuff recognition for last year's team? I imagine that would, I can't remember if they still do that or not. I for some they, they were I, talking about they were talking about changing that uh, that that, did, that tradition up. Did or, COVID uh, end that one? Is that might be something that maybe did you know they paused you know, it in twenty twenty and didn't bring it back? Or I know I, I know the it song, every year. I know the song was starting to to the the singing of the song by the other team's president was was starting to slip the, away. The in, more in the we can get away, years. the more we can get away from from rivalry traditions that feel like they were invented in the night in like nineteen twenty. I think the better, you know. You don't want like a, a weird trophy, like a weird boot or something for the for the winner of this. Uh, no, so so I think that the but this is a big game because of what just happened in Knoxville too, sure. right? Because if you're Bama, if you you know if, if if you let one go Wednesday night at home to what looked to be another team in the top tier of the SEC, suddenly you got real work to do to to catch mm-hmm. up and and get back into first place for a team that wants to win the regular season title. And if things yeah. keep going the way they are, I mean, Tennessee just destroyed Florida and Alabama in a week. I mean, Justin, if you if you had a vote in the AP poll, yeah, Tennessee's looking like a top three, top four team right now. And sure. I mean, Auburn's Auburn's playing exceptional 
basketball as well. And if things keep going the way they're going now, it's going to feel like a heavyweight title fight from the seventies, mm-hmm. right? Like it's going to feel like an old school heavyweight title fight in Knoxville next month, uh, February 28th. When, when the fact I tweeted, I tweeted this during the game. The fact that the fact that we only get one Auburn, Tennessee game this year sucks. I mean, I think the schedule gods, uh, kind of, kind of messed with us a little too much on that that one. And also, we got to wait until I mean, that is the that is the fourth to last game of the regular season for Auburn. Like it is, it is going to be a minute before that that one gets played. Can we reevaluate the three teams in conference that everyone plays? Will we readjust it's that when about? Yeah, no, it's changing to two. I think once ten. Well, once I'm sorry, once Oklahoma and Texas come into the league, I think and that I, knocks down to two. And I assume Auburn will keep Alabama and Georgia as their two. Um, I would think so. This might I'd, be the last season we see Ole Miss on the schedule twice. I'd love, I'd love Tennessee because oh, of man. because of the you know what I mean, especially with yeah. the Bruce with the Bruce connection and the way those two teams have played of late. You need to play Alabama and Georgia every year, but twice every year. But yeah, that would be a that'd be a fun. I'll tell you the other thing, Dan. You might, you by the way, it. you might get another. You might get at least one more Auburn Tennessee game. In in this in this oh yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) get at least one more. Well, I'll tell you why Auburn taking care of business on Saturday was important. Um, they're the only undefeated team in the SEC right now. It's early, it's very early, but no matter what happens Wednesday night in Coleman, they're going to have a tie of at least a tie of the SEC lead through a through a third of the of, of conference play. Like that's what getting off to this start has meant for Auburn because Tennessee's lost, Bama's lost, and now Kentucky's lost. Here's the thing, also. Kentucky, good grief! Did you see Big Z on 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 Saturday? The new guy, the seven two, um, newly eligible player for from Croatia for uh, Kentucky. He went three of four from deep, two of three from two. He scored thirteen points. He had five boards, two assists, three blocks, two steals, and they scored one hundred and five on Georgia. Now. Kentucky's got the same kind of problem I think Alabama does and that they will give up some dadgum points. They gave up 96 to Georgia. They gave up 97 to A&M, 85 to Florida, um, 83 to Carolina. Like, like there's some high-scoring, like 80, 89 to Kansas, 88 to St. Joe's. Like, there's some high-scoring games in there. But Kentucky looks like they're getting better as well. So, again, for Auburn to be, as Bruce Pearl loves to say, to be in position, to be in position, is pretty good because when you start off five and zero and you're the only five and zero team, getting a win at Alabama on the road is going to be tough. Like, in fact, um, Ken Palm has Auburn as a dog in that game. I wouldn't be completely stunned if Vegas has Auburn as a dog in that game. Maybe a little bit. Maybe it'll lean a little bit towards Auburn just because yeah. of of the of the records. But ESPN app has Alabama with like a sixty seven percent chance of winning. Yeah, it's going to be a tough. Game. It's gonna be a tough game. I mean, if Auburn comes out of that with a win, you're you're thinking really big about this team. Um, that pass you mentioned, Big Z. That pass, and, and oh, maybe it's boy. just maybe it's just because Vladi Divots is one of my favorite NBA players ever. Uh, you, you know, whenever you could bring in a giant European and he throws <laughs> a behind the back pass, a flashy pass, really, that'll get the crowd going. Like few things in basketball, and uh, and and yeah, OG Sabonis. This Kentucky team, yeah, just gets a little bit more dangerous with, uh, and and maybe a lot more dangerous with uh with Big Z's eligibility. What a weird year for college basketball with with guys. I mean, this one wasn't related to the TRO, 
but you had to, you had all these players that suddenly became eligible after thinking they were going to sit out uh-huh. all season long that have changed the equation for uh, teams around the around the sport, and now you have sort of a a prolonged. I guess what they had to dig around and find whether or not he was a, a professional athlete or whatever. I don't, I don't yeah. know exactly the story of of Big Z, but uh, uh but yeah, it makes uh it makes this this Kentucky season. Uh, you know, that make, makes them even more intriguing in this in this race for the for the conference title. Painter, when you uh, when you become president or AD or whatever, do you think oh, you think you can expand Auburn's recruiting efforts into Eastern Europe? I feel like that's an untapped market, uh, especially. Well, it's not really Eastern Europe, but ever since Auburn missed out on getting Dirk after despite Charles Barkley's best uh, best uh, intentions, I feel like this is a uh, this is an opportunity that Auburn could 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 land here. If anything, perhaps we can parlay it into some sort of team trip. I think that'd be kind of <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, a scout, little scouting trip in the Balkans. Let's do it. Let's do it. I could, I could have this wrong. I think we're still waiting for a ruling about whether or not international players are allowed to have NIL deals or whether or not that violates a student visa uh, that, uh, that, 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 you know. Yeah, I remember that being an issue with, with Oscar at Kentucky. Yeah, I think. And it's not even something where, like, schools, I my understanding is that schools are sort of of the opinion like it's it's up to the athlete whether or not they want to to take the risk uh because it it's a it's a immigration issue mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, with the government so yeah it's it's something that's still unsettled uh with uh with with the talk there but yeah i, I imagine more college basketball coaches are going to be uh, at least willing to, to to kick the tires on on international players seeing the impact uh, that they're uh, they're having around the sport also, I want to say before we move on, we got to take care of Lil's business. And we're going to change it up here for the last segment of the show. But I want to shout out to Cousin Ozzy on Twitter. Painter, I don't know if you saw this, but we had a Pepto Bolden reference uh, on uh, on the uh, on Saturday night after the game. Um, it, for for those of you who are longtime observer uh, heads, may remember the legend of Pepto Bolden. So, want to shout out Pepto Bolden. And the Auburn Tigers. All right. Moving on. Let's take care of some business first. If you are listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I like this, I would like more of it, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. You get twice as much of this podcast. We do another one later in the week. It's just like this one where we recap the latest basketball game, look ahead to the latest uh, or to the upcoming uh, basketball game. We talk football news as well. Um, All that good stuff with the three of us. You can get that if you subscribe to the Observer. You also get the film rooms, the mailbags, all of my writing, all of the newsletter stuff covering Auburn football and men's basketball. It gets emailed directly to your inbox whenever it drops, usually 6 a.m. Central Time. Most mornings, go to auburnobserver.com and check it out. Sign up there. There are links in the description. There are buttons, all that good stuff. Secondly, Painter, tell the folks at home how they can help us out um, with uh, absolutely no money down. If you have not yet, please rate, review, and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out tremendously. I also want to give a special shout-out here again. A few months ago, you guys might remember, uh, we did a we did a little contest for reviews, and uh, Greg uh, gave the uh, gave the the Latham's uh, loser. Uh, you, you remember the the uh, the, 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 uh, 
with the the style, Dan. I remember you, this one really tickled you because you were more familiar with that one. Yeah, Le- Leonard's Losers. Leonard's, was a, yes, uh, Latham Le- was his name. Yeah, Le- was Leonard's this guy's Losers, name? Yeah, Leonard's Losers was uh, was a syndicated radio thing that was uh, sort of giving uh, tongue in cheek uh, gambling picks and had, had exaggerated Southern characters. And uh, Bill Cameron told me about it. I found some of them uh archived around the internet it's 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 good stuff and i believe yeah the review was in the was in the style of an old leonard yes. losers uh, bit. yes that's it and and our buddy greg um uh i met him before the game uh uh, uh on saturday night he introduced himself as the guy who did that review so shout out to greg and uh, shout out to all of you who who drop in with uh with the with the five star reviews that helps us out a ton also you go to homefieldapparel.com and get the official Auburn Observer t-shirt. Just search Auburn Observer. Guys, we have a trend, and I want... There is there is a member of the students section. There's a young man who's in the student section. He sits towards the front, first couple of rows. Ooh. The last couple of home games, you have been wearing an Auburn Observer t-shirt in the front row. Um, I've noticed it. Uh, other people have pointed it out to me. If you are that person, tweet me, email me, something. Because uh, we want to give you a shout out for uh, for that for the advertising. But if you want to be as comfortable and stylish as that young man in the student section, you can go to Auburn Observer. Or I'm sorry, you can go to homefieldapparel.com. Search Auburn Observer. Get the Auburn Observer T-shirt. You can also get all the cool uh, Auburn gear. You got we're talking T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, quarter zips, um, joggers, hats, all that good stuff. A ton of really cool Auburn designs. Fifteen percent off your first. Uh, order at homefieldapparel.com if you use the promo code observer23 at check it out. Yes, Dan. Also, some very cool Troy stuff at Homefield. Except no imitations. Yes, there home are field. there are fake Homefield websites out there. Only go to the original folks, homefieldapparel.com and, and and get and get get yourself set up there. All right, knockoffs. That's what yeah. I mean. What, how how dare they? How dare they? So. For the rest of the show, we want to talk about a few subjects here. Um, as we've talked about on this show before, we cover football and men's basketball. Uh, that is what I've covered pretty much my entire career. It is a full-time job to cover just those two sports. And uh, I try to keep up and keep an eye on the other sports going on Auburn. People are really into Auburn baseball. They're looking for They're about to get things going here in a few weeks. Auburn softball as well. Gymnastics is off and rolling. You know, volleyball's had a great year. We just try to keep an eye on it. But on this show and in this newsletter, we focus on those two sports. Those are those are just the two we do. However, from time to time, we do like to talk about things that are going on outside of those two sports. And as we were recording this podcast, Auburn, Auburn women's basketball just pulled off a 13-point win over Alabama, snapping a what would have been a nine-game losing streak to the Crimson Tide. On a day where they retired Dewana Bonner's number, um, which was a really cool moment, she was super emotional. It's been a big weekend, uh, a lot of a lot of praise uh, going towards one of the very best to ever play, not only for Auburn women's basketball but in the SEC and the WNBA. Dewana Bonner getting getting that recognition, and Auburn women lost. On Thursday, in a rescheduled game against Vanderbilt on the road, really tough game, came down to the wire. They weren't able to pull it off at the end. But this Auburn women's team, their last two home games, they have now beaten defending national champion LSU, a game, Dan, that you and I were at. And 
now they've beaten Alabama by 13 in what has been a big weekend for for women's, women's basketball. Johnny Harris and this and this crew, um, I, you know, it's year three. This team has still got a ways to go as a program, especially with how tough things are in the SEC. But they're starting to build something, especially in these home games, that I think it's really, really cool to see, especially with the crowd starting to build back up. Apparently the student section was a big uh, difference maker uh, in, in, in Auburn's comeback uh, against Alabama, big fourth quarter uh, on Sunday. Yeah, hopefully this isn't a thing that just happens for LSU and for Alabama and, and people make a habit of, of going and supporting uh, the, uh, the they play the South Carolina at home arena. later the, uh, yeah. later this season as well. That'll be that'll be whew, that'll be rough. I'm sure like that'll tough, be a hot. I'm sure that'll be a hot ticket. Like I'm, I mean, this is a yeah, yeah, and it's been it's been exciting. I know it's it's been uneven thus far in in Coach Jay's uh, tenure, but uh, two big home wins early in conference play in a season where you know keep in mind that this is a new athletic director since since Coach Jay was brought on, and you know I, I think. Uh, even understanding that she inherited a very difficult situation uh, when she got to Auburn, uh, I think it, you know, at some point folks are expecting a return on the investment and seeing wins over LSU and, and Alabama at Neville arena. I, I think it does build more goodwill. And I, I loved uh, the, 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 the mic work after the LSU win, right? Mm-hmm. The promo as Justin Lee said, you know, the promo she cut on, uh, on, on Auburn arena there. Uh, really, really, uh, uh, in thanking folks for coming out and and you know showing them that w- when an atmosphere like that can really make a difference in SEC basketball. Auburn's point guard Jemaya Mingo Young was facing her former team Alabama. I'm sure you know she wanted to uh, to to break that streak uh, that Alabama had going and uh, and yeah, big win uh, at at Auburn. Uh, you know, for, for Auburn at Neville Arena. Yeah, really cool to see Auburn women's basketball is starting to kind of pick up the steam and this momentum. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing the rest of the season. Um, it's going to be tough. The SEC is always tough, uh, you know, in, in, in women's basketball. But, like, this team has had a really good non-conference schedule. They've taken some lumps in SEC play, but they've gotten a couple of big wins at home. I don't know, man. Like, I'm not – I'm not. Dan, you're probably a little bit more of an expert than I am and, and definitely more of an expert than I am and when it comes to women's – like, I don't know. Maybe if they get hot, anything's possible. Maybe NIT runs on the table here for the, for this team, especially the way that they they've been kind of building up. I think the one thing about this team that I really enjoy watching. I think if you live in the area, come out to these these games uh, and watch them. They are a really fun team to watch because the way they play defense is, I mean, it's swarming. That LSU team had been averaging like ninety four points a game, and Auburn held them to set uh, to to sixty two. Uh, in their win, um, it does feel like Johnny Harris year three. They've gotten that system, and the players for that system have kind of been, uh, you know, pretty locked in, especially on the defensive end. the The only thing I would uh, I would change about what you just said there, Justin, is uh, th- this is a bubble team right now sure. in yeah, the NCAA yeah. tournament. Like, th- there's sure. more than just an NIT run on the table. Uh, this I need season. to pick up some wins in SEC play, but it's definitely possible. And, and with the, with the NIT and WNIT rules having changed, in my opinion, to favor major conference teams mm-hmm. rather than the mid majors that used to be guaranteed bids. This team looks to be almost assuredly a WNIT team, unless they were to, uh, uh, to, to really collapse uh, down the stretch. But at the moment, before the win over Alabama, Charlie cream had them as one of the top 
as as one of the the last four out. I think maybe his next four out, but he he had them firmly on the bubble before today's win. I won't be surprised if maybe this uh, moves them closer or maybe even moves them in to what sure. his projected NCAA tournament. And he's done a pretty good job the last few years of, of yeah. knowing what the bubble looks like. And so I think if uh, yeah, I mean if, if they can if they can keep certainly protecting home court. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got enough games against SEC teams, like you said, including South Carolina. I think they could play their way in, and it would be, yeah, a huge step forward for this team to seriously threaten for an NCAA bid, but maybe even get one in, in Coach Jay's third year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you're more of the expert, and obviously the 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 bracketology is favoring Auburn there. Um, but yeah, really fun team. Again, encouraging those of y'all who. Uh, live in the area or around here on weekends or you know even during the week go out and watch this team play they are a lot of fun um and uh, they play a fun up tempo high pressure system uh and uh, they're starting to really pick up some momentum here one other note about charlie cream's bracket right now uh this he currently has tennessee out and it would be the first time ever wow. it would be the first time ever that tennessee has missed the women's NCAA tournament. They, I mean, of course they, they didn't make it in 2020 because there wasn't one, but oh, yeah. Tennessee has been to every uh, women's NCAA tournament that they've ever had. And right now uh, he's got them uh, on the wrong side of the bubble. That's a, that's incredible. Dan, you wanted to bring up a couple other women's basketball related topics here to round out the show. Well, I do. It does seem like a firestorm is uh, is is brewing uh, with the Caitlin Clark incident earlier today. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Caitlin Clark uh, had a collision with a fan during a court storming after Ohio State upset Iowa uh, today. And I guess details are unclear about whether or not she is injured. She said she was okay, but she also made reference to an injury it's an ugly looking collision and i do wonder if it's gonna bring back up the issue of court storming and safety uh with uh with, with college athletics i i my thing with court storming and painter i think we've talked about this is like i'm cool with like people being able to storm the floor have fun it's kind of one of those things that makes college sports unique and fun and I know it may uh, may kind of go away from the, I don't know the, the the kind of organic nature of it, but like, I'm fine. I'd be totally fine with hey, as soon as the other team gets off the field, gets off the court, gets gets to a safe spot, then go nuts. Like then then if you want to go on the on the court, go because the safety is is the key thing. I don't think we've ever really had an issue with. That I can remember of like a home team, um, you know, not wanting their fans to storm the floor as for a safe for safety reasons as much as hey, let's just don't you don't want to have any of these incidents happen like with the Cl- Caitlin Clark stuff. Obviously, there have been some really bad ones over the years in, in football. You know, uh, the 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 um, Tennessee one a couple of years ago, um, you know, with with, with Alabama and football. But like I don't know, like I, Painter, I know we've talked about. Court storming and letting letting folks in field storming, letting folks have fun, but like kind of kind of where are you at with with all this? Because it is a problem that it just you know we keep seeming like every year there's there's something new kind of stepping up, and if players are getting hurt in this, you got to do something about it. Sure, it does feel like a matter of time before a change might become inevitable. You could 
still celebrate in the in the stands for a few more minutes and have a good time and then all storm the field as you suggest after it's cleared off. I understand why some people are not going to want that. You know, the alternative might eventually be not doing it at all. So, sure. And I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have to be Scrooge on this one, right? Like I think it's like we were just talking about traditions uh, dying out. Uh, in sure. the in the Iron Bowl of basketball segment, I'm wondering if we've reached the point where this needs to be seriously discouraged, or or even sort of, you know, I mean, they, they need to sort of do everything they can I, I just, to keep I, to keep fans out because I mean, there's there's just a multitude of security issues and and you you I mean, if there's I just would I want to be firmly on the side because I I feel like there's there's the possibility of a of a real tragedy someday sure. and i want to be firmly like i i think i think they need to be doing everything they can go celebrate like painter said celebrate the stands go celebrate outside it just feels like this is something that they don't do in the pros and as we're reaching the you know as we get closer and closer to the professionalization mm, of college football yeah. and and men's and women's college basketball like that's that's something that's not happening and it's just it's you know it doesn't i mean it, and I mean, imagine if Caitlin Clark suffered a, a career altering injury from from what happened today. Right. Like, imagine what we'd be talking about if it was a, a ruptured patella or something from from a from a guy looking at his phone as he as he charges onto the onto the floor. I just think it's something. And I don't know. Like, look, I'm not saying armed guards. Right. Like, I'm not I'm, like, I don't want to be haters. Yeah. Like bloodhounds. But like. uh uh, no, I, I think I think they really need to be doing whatever they can as an industry to to kind of get this out. Yeah, I just I, I think there could be room for for compromise. I think teams need to have a plan in place for the opposing teams to safely help get them off the field as as quickly as possible. And then and then, you know, making it happen. But yeah, I mean, it's not worth people getting hurt over for sure. And then that's. I think we're getting a little too much into that kind of territory, and hopefully, all things are good there with with Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Clark because, I mean, you talk about one of the most phenomenal athletes in America right now, not just I mean, regardless of sport, is must see TV uh, whenever she's out there, um, and you know you don't want that to happen to anybody. Uh, let me be very clear about that. But you is know, there a men's is there a men's player right now that you would say is as famous as Caitlin Clark? As maybe, famous, no. Maybe, maybe Bronny James, but that feels Bronny, like cheating. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, and I feel like the only like player comp right now is probably what Don Connect's doing at, at at Tennessee, where it's just like just lighting teams up left and right. But yeah, it is it is pretty it, it's pretty remarkable for sure. Um, Dan, I hear you have one more thing for me, uh, and uh, I don't know where you're going with this one because you 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 set this up quite interestingly in the in the pre-show. So, so Troy played a game in the Cajun Dome this weekend, women's basketball against uh, Louisiana, and, uh, and they had 15 turnovers. Eight of them were offensive fouls because Louisiana, uh, Gary Broadhead, who's who's an excellent basketball coach, he really preaches take charges at all cost as a big part of his defense. And so they're really like it's I you know what I I don't know if you've ever seen a team really aggressively like that's that's that. their and it, and and, <laughs> and so yeah and it's it's a uh, and I just wonder like is the and and I did see that you know the flop warning came out too, uh, but it's a it's a it's a heck of a way to you know it's it's a it's a heck of a way to approach. And I'm not sure. I guess the I don't know if you if you you know I, I don't really know the counter to it, right? I guess you have to work on pull up jumpers and you have to to, to get around it. But it's a I, I'd never I'd never seen 
a team so aggressively try that as their as their and I mean I want to say up thirty or down thirty. He's on his team. Doing it. Oh he's on his god. team if they're not trying to take charges. Oh my god! No, don't like that at all. Uh, there was a story uh, uh, last year about I want to say it's NAIA or D two or D three. Um, it was this college baseball team uh, that made it to the. Uh, yeah, that made that made it D three Misericordia University was playing in the D three uh, World Series this year, College World Series, and they sold out to get hit by pitches. They were hit a hundred and fifty three times in fifty two games. They averaged getting hit nearly three times a game, and it was like their players. Their coaches train their players to just stay in the box no matter what and like fight the instinct that everyone has when a ball is being thrown at them to jump out of the way. And they train it out of these dudes and they get three free bases a game because of it. And they shattered a bunch of NCAA records for getting hit by pitches this year. And it's like, I like that one a little bit more than just like, because my whole thing with the charge is like, if a dude's going out of control, if a player's going out of control and they run you smack over and you're playing you're playing good defense, that's a charge. Yeah, do it. But when you are trying as hard as you can to not play defense, not contest shots, not get just if I if I get away and time it up enough that if I get run over and if I manipulate the timing enough enough here, maybe I'll get um, you know, maybe I'll get maybe I'll force a turnover. That irritates me. And that's like with the block charge, like the updated block charge rule, the secondary defender. It's like, like that's helpful. We're not seeing as much of those this year, but I mean, I guess there's still coaches that are like, nope, we're still going to do it. We still got it. We still got to go all out for it. So there's a new rule in the college women's game this year that the the circle under the basket no longer applies for offensive fouls. Really? And I wonder if that's something that you would support. Uh, in, in the in the minutes like that you don't you don't have the luxury of saying well I was in the circle to 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 get out like I guess it, they don't they don't have it at all right because like yeah if you're in the circle and you get slammed like doesn't matter you were in the circle you have to get out of it so I mean maybe I don't know man like I just I I, I play defense move your feet and play defense that's that's my that's going to be my my grand answer to all of these problems so anyway um folks. It's another interesting episode of this here podcast. Um, shout out to the Auburn women for pulling off their win against uh, against Alabama. Shout out to the Auburn men for continuing to be a very interesting team to write about and talk about. And uh, we will be back later this week. It'll probably be another Friday podcast, more than likely, because Auburn's going to be on the road here uh, with uh, in Tuscaloosa this week. But we will have coverage of Auburn Alabama basketball. Obviously, keeping track of everything with football and. Um, plenty of stuff during the week at the Observer mailbag. You can go ahead and send in your questions, all that good stuff. Go to auburnobserver.com, sign up there. We're good to go. Uh, we'll be a lot of stuff coming your way. So that'll do it for me. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, I think there was something, or I feel that there is something on your mind that perhaps you might want to bring up. Yeah, I was going to ask the group, do you guys watch or listen to anything at faster than normal speed? I know Painter does. Painter, explain yourself here. I do listen to podcasts pretty regularly at uh, 1.25 or 
maybe even a little faster. I think on Spotify, it'll allow you to set it in more specific increments. I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just, I don't know. And like, Painter, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you do this podcast and you edit this podcast, you used to speed up our voices slightly. Is that still the case? I don't do it anymore. I used to uh, okay. speed it up ever so slightly. Yes. Yeah. It's just, he wants us to go faster, folks. It's in my contract that my dramatic pauses have to be exactly as, as intended here on, here on the observer. No, it's so I, I think that if you're, if you're listening to a book on an audio book, maybe cranking that up is a, like listening to someone read something to me is a little bit different than something conversational or sure. certainly like now, now here's watching something on a streaming service at faster than its intended speed, a movie. I can't believe you can do or, that. I, yeah, I, I don't understand why that setting even exists for, <laughs> for movies and TV. Like if you're watching just, sign, you're watching I would just Seinfeld feel like I'm going on, insane. Yeah. You're watching Seinfeld on 1.5 speed or something like what in, <laughs> what in the world? But I mean, so, so podcasts, I mean, maybe I, I encourage you if you're someone listening to this at anything faster than 1.0, I encourage you to try it at normal speed and and give it a real give it a real college try painter why do you painter why do you listen to things faster because i can't do it it. depends on who's speaking like some people speak slowly and i'm like i don't need to wait this long (laughs) to hear what you have to say is that either of us or either of us on this podcast we all talk pretty slow in my opinion yeah it's our it's our it's our southern heritage obviously in our our we can get sped up, but I, I do think all three of us speak kind of slowly. I, I I mean, I know folks who listen to this podcast who listen to it quickly, and I'm like, I I, th- I think I would sound worse sped up. So God bless you if you keep do- you keep listening to this. I think I used to speak uh, more quickly, but it was beaten out of me with sports talk radio. Like that was over, like over the time, like just not wanting to barrage people with like rapid fire, like it just, I, I think that it's, it's, you know, going back and listening to myself, I thought I was talking too quickly and I thought I was talking too fast. And so yeah, I've tried to, uh, I try, I mean, I, before broadcast doing play by play, I remember like, all right, keep the, you know, you know, st- stay somewhat level and don't, sure. uh, you know, don't, don't, don't gas don't out too, too early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, keep the, uh, the appropriate, the, the, the appropriate level of enthusiasm. Painter, uh, do you find yourself? That could be the, it- that could be the title of this one, the appropriate level of enthusiasm. The appropriately, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good that's a that's a good one. Bear, you know, obviously, people who listen to us and have been been with us for a while know that we used to do radio. That used to be your like actual day job, and um, now that you're out of it, do you ever find yourself switching into a radio voice? Because when we would do promos or like there were some hits that you had to do sometimes where you had to you had to get some stuff out pretty quickly and pretty like forcefully you had a radio voice like you had a you had a you had a tone you could slip into and i wonder nowadays outside of radio do you ever do you ever find yourself slipping that one back on it's fun to do it randomly especially like your friends who don't know it and 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 I have a super thick Christian Bale accent that I just I, I hide when I'm doing when I'm doing so podcasts and, there is and, a, and radio. There is a there is a commercial in the playoffs right now with the guy who played Tom from 
uh, Succession, who is a British man doing. I think it's a Mercedes. Yeah, it's a Mercedes Benz ad or something like that, and really nice car. And he's talking in his British accent, and it's like I know he's British. I know he's done things like in a British accent, like even acting stuff before. But he's Tom, and like I need you to quit, like knock it off with the British accent, man. Like, and, and there are—I've seen a super cut of this. There are slight moments on Succession where the British accent yeah, creeped yeah. in, and and you could, you know, he he says, "Oh, I just popped in for something," or he says it in a way where it's like, "Oh, well, hold on," you know. But but it's uh, uh but no, for the most part, yeah, it was it was uh, shocking to learn uh, how he uh, how how he actually talks. Uh, I feel that way every time because uh, uh, it comes out every now and then like in like Nicole Kidman stuff, you hear the Australian accent come out a little bit, uh, which is crazy because I feel like if you're if you're Australian, you should like have free reign to like talk like like the most insane way possible, because that's just that's 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 just part of your country's ethos specifically. But I don't know. Now I'm getting su- super self-conscious about my voice, especially my accent, because like. I don't think I have a particularly strong accent and then I, but I slip into it really easily and like painter. I mean, we can, we can talk about this here. Like where you used to live was not in the deep South. And I wonder how much did you ever get that kind of, cause I've, I've almost always just lived in the South my entire life. So I've never been like, Hey, yo, your accents, you know, accents where no, we all talk like this. Like, did you ever, did you ever run into any of that? I had people who told me I did sound a little Southern, but a number of people there also said I didn't have much of an accent. I probably, the radio, man. I probably encountered more people saying you don't seem to have much of a Southern accent than I did people being surprised when they would hear me talk. And I did grow up in the deep South, but my parents aren't Southerners and I watched a lot of TV. So like if uh-huh. anything, I have like, yeah, I have like a Vince McMahon accent, you know, if anything, based on <laughs> Vince McMahon from North Carolina. Uh, I, yes. Also, uh, also a Southerner who, who, uh, who, who I think went to, went to great efforts to yeah. conceal any, uh, any hint of a Southern accent on, on an unrelated note or a, a less related note. Most of the time memes for me get worn out pretty quickly, but the Vince McMahon one where he's crying and saying to cut away is still entertaining to me. And that thing has been getting play for months now. And and the one the one where things escalate with his oh, reaction that, yes. to it is also one of the greatest, <laughs> one one of the greatest ever. I mean, that guy's I if in a in a different generation, he would have been one of our great silent film stars, right? Like that, like Vince McMahon's expressions like that's that's what sold the vince versus austin feud was the way mm-hmm. he could just get that big terrified gulp when he heard uh steve austin's music or something like his his ability to yeah uh, yeah he, he could he, he would could. be like he would be portrayed on tv and in real life as like one of the most evil people ever and then and then like but be like it would be like vaudeville like reactions to like stone cold coming out <laughs> And he grew that mustache that made him look like the Alec Baldwin villain on uh, on, on, thir- on Thirty Rock, right? The, the Henrylissimo. That's what I'm gonna start calling you, Dan. You are now you are now the Henrylissimo. Hen- <laughs>